Welcome to Harvest, glad you're here. Let's continue in worshiping by studying God's word. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 23 is our passage. Today's message is entitled, Dealing with Detours. Dealing with Detours. And you probably noticed in the passage that Maurice just read that Paul dealt with some detours in his life and in his ministry. He made plans to go to Rome, but was hindered. He wanted to go to Rome after traveling to Jerusalem, but we know from the book of Acts that Paul's eventual trip to Rome wasn't like how he planned it. More on that in a second. And it took a lot longer than he thought it was would as long as, as far as what we're reading here in Romans. So I, my question for you this morning is, what do we do when life doesn't go according to plan? Can that happen in life? Things not going according to plan? Yes, it can. How do we deal with detours in our lives? How do we deal with roadblocks in life? How did the Apostle Paul deal with it? Last week I told you about my call to ministry in the late 1990s in this city called Longview, Texas. I want to go back there and just tell you about a detour in my own life. A few years after that call to ministry, I was married, and Sonny and I had made a commitment to move from Texas to Chicago to attend seminary and prepare for vocational ministry. So we loaded up everything we owned in a U-Haul, and we started our way up to Illinois. And as we were driving up here, I was driving this big diesel U-Haul, and Sonia was driving our little Toyota Camry that was filled to the brim with everything that we owned, everything that we could get into it anyway. And we were driving through Arkansas when I noticed I needed to fill up this diesel U-Haul. So I pulled into this gas station and, you know, put the, put the nozzle into the U-Haul to start pumping diesel. And as I pulled on the trigger, it wasn't pumping. Sonia had actually gone to another place to get something to eat, so she wasn't there, and I was frustrated by this. So I went in to the gas station. I told him, hey, you know, the pump's not working. Can you turn it on? They're like, it's not working. It's like, all right, fine. I'll just go somewhere else. They said, try this other pump right next to it. So, okay, I'll try that pump. So I got back into my U-Haul, pulled out, went around to this other pump to start filling up. And when I looked back at the pump that I was previously at, There was, I'm not joking, a geyser of diesel fuel that was shooting up into the air, like 12 feet into the air. It looked like Old Faithful. It's like, but this was a Yellowstone. This was a gas station in Arkansas. Here's what happened. When I pulled around, I'd actually left the nozzle in the U-Haul, and not only had I pulled the nozzle out, but I pulled the entire pump out of the ground and started dragging it with me to the new pump. Hence this geyser of diesel fuel. So, I mean, after this happened, I started to panic and I went inside and I said, you got to turn this off. You see this geyser? And they're like, yes, sir, we know what happened. The cops are on the way. So I... I mean, I was terrified. I sat down, despondent. Sonia shows up because she had gone somewhere else, and she's like, what happened? 
started to tell her and I told her, you know, the cops are on the way. She was terrified. I was terrified. We're on our way to Illinois. We feel called by the Lord to go to Illinois. I'm starting to think now, I'll never get out of Arkansas. We're going to jail here. Well, for whatever reason, you know, God's mercy, I guess, we got out of that situation and we got back on the road again. Praise the Lord. Just for the record, I I try to avoid Arkansas whenever I travel south, just so you know. So we we made it to Illinois and the the next day, in fact, and we were just about two hours from our final destination, uh, Chicago, and, and we were actually in Kankakee, Illinois. I remember this vividly. And Sonia was sick. She was probably sick of me by this time after being married to me, but she wasn't feeling real good. And, you know, I was trying to be that conscientious new husband. I said, hey, let's just pull over to this place. Let's just take a rest. We pulled into this other gas station, and there was this field out back behind the gas station. I said, let's just go over there. Let's rest. Take our th- There's no hurry. You know, the worst is behind us in Arkansas. Everything will be fine now. So she said, okay, and she parked her Toyota, and I pulled up around that Camry. And as I pulled the U-Haul around the Toyota, I actually side-swiped the back of our Toyota with my U-Haul. And I, I clipped the back of it, but then I scraped the entire passenger side of our little car while also scraping the entire side of the U-Haul, the driver's side. That included everything that we owned. And by this point, you can't make this stuff up. This, this happened. <laughs> by this point, I'm starting to calculate the dollars, like we are in the hole. And so I just I kind of walked off to this field and started to pray, and I started to ask the Lord, what are you doing? What is this? Do I need to just go right back to Texas? I thought you had called us to Illinois. I thought you had called us to seminary. I thought you had called us to this new thing. We're not going to make it. And I had a real low point in that moment. You might call it a detour. Thinking, what, what's God doing here? How's God going to rescue me from this? In fact, it's as if God had put us in a situation that only he could get us out of it. More on that later. What do we do when life doesn't go the way that we expect? When we hit roadblocks, roadblocks, when we encounter detours. Here's an option that I see in our culture today. Do we just, you know, experience deconversion? Let's just deconvert. I mean, that's the latest thing, right? You know, let's just stop believing in Christ. We'll get on Twitter, we'll tell everybody, and we'll get millions of followers. Is that the best option, just abandon your faith when things aren't going the way that you want them to? Can I give you a better option, Harvest Decatur? When you hit roadblocks, when you have detours in life, when things aren't going the way that you want, let me suggest two things from Acts 15 that you should double down on and trust the Lord for. So here's your outline this morning. Two commitments when dealing with detours. Two commitments when dealing with detours. Two points from the text, and then we'll take communion together. Write this down as number one. When you're dealing with detours in your life, stay committed, church, to fellowship with the saints. 
Stay committed to fellowship with the saints. And when I use that word fellowship, let me be clear, fellowship, that's, that's a word that encapsulates a lot of different things, and we're going to look at that for, in, Acts 20, in Acts 15, 22 through 33. Paul says this in verse 22. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What's the reason, Paul? Well, it's what we talked about last week. Paul had this insatiable desire to preach the gospel to people who hadn't heard the gospel before, to go to places where they hadn't heard the name of Jesus. And, and because of that, he hadn't had a chance to come to Rome yet. He's, he's busy preaching the gospel. And yet he has a desire to go to Rome. We know that. Paul said that way back in Romans chapter 1. Verse 13, he said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented. Sometimes Paul was prevented by Satan from going places. We see that in the scripture. Sometimes Paul was prevented by God from going to this place versus another, versus another place. And I think that's what's going on here. This is what you call a divine passive. Paul has been hindered. Paul has been stopped. Paul has been redirected by the Lord elsewhere so he can't go to Rome. Both chapter 1 and chapter 15 of Romans tell us that Paul wanted to go to visit Rome. He wanted to visit this church, but he wasn't able to. God had other plans for him, and God is sovereign, ultimately. God wanted him to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And we see this in the previous passage God had Paul preach the gospel to Gentiles from Jerusalem to Illyricum in all the surrounding areas, chapter 15, verse 19. And that took him to all these regions where there was no church, there was no gospel witness, Malta and Miletus, Athens and Attalia, Tyre and Troas, Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, Thessalonica, etc., etc., all of these places where Paul went, where there was no gospel, where there was no church, and he preached the gospel, and he planted churches, and people got saved, and it was amazing. Read the book of Acts. And, and all of this has caused him to not be able to go to Rome to help encourage this church. It's okay. He's busy doing good work. He's busy blazing gospel trails for the Lord. Paul says, though, verse 23, but now, after, I, I've, I've got a reprieve. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you in Rome, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, this is curious. Because Paul doesn't say, you know, I'm, I can't wait to go to you, Rome, and I'm going to stay there forever. He said, I, I'm going to go to you, Rome, as I go somewhere else. Paul has this desire to go to Spain. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Why does Paul want to go to Spain? And why does Paul want to stop in Rome on the way? I mean, if he wants to go straight to Spain, it's a lot easier to go around Rome by boat and just go straight to Spain. Why does he want to go to Rome first? Let's answer those questions one at a time. First of all, Paul wants to go to Spain because there's no gospel witness there. There's no church People don't know about Jesus Christ. They don't know in Spain about how they might be saved. So Paul wants to go to this place. He's addicted to gospel witness. He's addicted to seeing people come to Christ. And actually, he's going to go to this faraway place that doesn't even speak Greek, that speaks another language, it speaks Latin. And he's going to go there, and he's going to share the gospel with them. Paul's already told us in verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
So Paul wants to go to this distant outpost in order to preach the gospel, in order to plant a church for the first time in that region. Region. I said last week that Illyricum was you know, roughly 1,400 miles from Jerusalem and that Paul had traveled that far already and then circuitously all throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Well, Spain is not, you know, that's 1,400 miles. Spain is 2,300 miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies. That's a direct shot. It's a lot farther than that if it goes a land route all the way to Spain. So, I mean, this 2,300 miles, that is a huge undertaking in this day. I mean, that's, that's a massive vision. That's a massive goal for him to go to this place if he even survives the trip, even if he survives when he gets there. We know that Paul's, he's about to die just about everywhere he goes. But he can't get enough of seeing new converts come to Christ Jesus. He's, he's compelled to go there because of his desire for evangelism. So, I mean, that's why he wants to go to Spain. Why stop in Rome on the way? Why stop it? Why not just go straight to Spain? Well, look at verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul wants fellowship. Paul wants to enjoy their company for a while. Actually, Paul wants two things. Look closely at verse 24. First of all, I want to be helped on my journey. And then secondly, I want to enjoy your company for a while. Yeah, notice which one of those he mentions first. I want, to, I want to be helped on your journey. What does that mean? What does helped mean there? Well, helped is Paul's way of saying, I want you to finance my missionary journey to Spain. <laughs> this is Paul with a missionary letter saying, hey, I'm on my way to Spain. I'm going to come and collect some cash on the way in Rome. Get your wallets ready. And you know what? That, that's an aspect of fellowship. I think we like to think of fellowship as hanging out, and it certainly is hanging out. Paul even says here, I want to enjoy your company for a while. What's that? That's hanging out. But it, it's not just about hanging out. It's also about mission. Did y'all hear me on that? Please don't be distracted by this. Fellowship is not just about hanging out. It's also about mission. Paul wants to get some things done for the Lord, and he wants to recruit this church in Rome to help him finance that work. And I think this should hit home with us. As a church, we got planted by another church. We got planted here, and, and we have an opportunity now. I mean, I kind of feel like, boy, God has done amazing things in our church in the last 13 years since we got planted Let's do something for him now. Let's, let's plant our own churches and do something like this ourselves because look how much God has blessed us. And that can be an aspect of our fellowship, not just hanging out together, but being on mission together and doing a great work together. That's what Paul is calling this church to as an act of fellowship. That's actually why we're part of GCC, just so you know, and Actively looking for ways that we can plant churches along with other churches that are like-minded. So just to be clear, when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about financial giving as an aspect of fellowship. We're also talking about hanging out as an aspect of fellowship. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while, I mean, that's good too. I like hanging out with Christians. Let me show you another expression of fellowship. Look at verse 25 with me in your Bibles. Paul says, at present, however, 
I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Paul most likely wrote this book from the city of Corinth, wrote Romans from the city of Corinth. And, you know, if, if I drew a circle right here of the Roman Empire, I had a map for you, but I'm just going to make you a map, okay? So here's the Roman Empire. And Corinth is like right in the middle, maybe a little bit east. And then Rome is just a little bit west of Corinth. And so what Paul is saying here is that I want to go through you, Rome, all the way to Spain. And Spain is on the, the, the westernmost fringe of the Roman Empire. I mean, it's like way over there. And so if he's in Corinth and he wants to go to Spain through Rome, he would go west, right? Everybody with me? See, I'm, I'm drawing this map for your benefit, okay? Well, this is west. But what does Paul say in verse 25? He says, I got to go to Jerusalem first. Which way is Jerusalem? Some of you who are geographically oriented, you know this. It's east. It's the exact opposite direction. So just trying to make sense of this. Paul's in Corinth. He wants to go through Rome to Spain. He says, I got to go to Jerusalem first. That is not on the way. That is the opposite direction of the way he wants to go. Why is he doing this? Why does he want to do this? Well, here's why. He's bringing aid to the saints in Jerusalem. Everybody see that in verse 25? He's bringing aid. That word here for bringing aid, it's, it's the Greek word diakoneo. It means to serve or to minister. The word diakonos, deacon, is derived from this word, diakoneo. And so Paul is going to play the part of the deacon first, and he's going to bring benevolence to the church in Jerusalem because there had been a famine in this region of the world, and the believers in Jerusalem were suffering greatly. So, so get this. Here's what Paul did. He wants to go to these regions. He wants to go to Spain where the gospel hasn't been preached yet. But he so desperately wants to bring aid to Jerusalem, to the Christians that are suffering there. He actually goes to these Gentile churches and he collects an offering to bring to Jerusalem to bless the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Paul goes about through these Gentile, primarily Gentile churches, collecting an offering. Look at those areas, Macedonia, Achaia. These are places where Paul planted churches. He goes through these Gentile regions. There's my map. Oh, glorious map. I spent so much time on that. And it's gone. All right. <laughs> you guys got the map in your mind, right? You don't need that. We're past that anyway. Here's what should blow your mind. Paul went to these Gentile churches that he had planted and he picks up an offering, a benevolence gift to take back to the Jerusalem church, to the Jewish Christians there that are suffering. Paul says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. See that in verse 26? Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I want to blow your mind even further, okay? Stay with me here. Macedonia and Achaia, these are these regions of the Roman Empire, these churches that were planted by Paul, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, Corinth, etc. Paul took up an offering there from Gentile churches to go to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And, and here's what should blow your mind. You see that word contribution? Everybody look at your Bibles. See that word contribution that's in the ESV, also if you have an NIV, that, that word contribution. Everybody see that? For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some 
contribution for the poor. Everybody see that? Do y'all know what Greek word that is for contribution? It's a word you know, most of you. It's the word koinonia. Paul says, so let me read it that way. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some koinonia for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Paul's saying that these Gentile churches have made a koinonia contribution to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And, and I point that out to you because fellowship, we talk about fellowship, koinonia, right? That's our word that oftentimes is we link to the English word fellowship. What are we talking about with koinonia? We're talking about mission, raising money for missions. That's an aspect of koinonia. We're talking about hanging out together. I want to enjoy your company when I go to Rome. What else is it? It's also benevolence. It's also help for those who are hurting, help for the poor. Three aspects of koinonia. Verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, says Paul, these Gentile churches, and indeed they owe it to them. They owe it to these Jews in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, in other words, the Jews have now bestowed these great blessings that they have as Jewish people upon the Gentiles. For, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they, the Gentiles, ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Now, here, I think that Paul's doing something sneaky here. I think this is more than just, let me give you a missionary report, okay? I, I got to take some money down to Jerusalem, just so you know. I think Paul's doing something more than that. You know what I think Paul's doing here? You remember the, the conflict that's going on in Rome that he addressed already? Chapter 14, chapter 15, I preached three sermons on this. Remember the conflict? We had these weaker Christians, primarily Jews, who were still hung up on diet and days. And then you had these stronger believers, mainly Gentiles, who weren't hung up on it. And the stronger Gentiles were making fun of the weaker Jews because they were still hung up on trying to obey the law in some way. And Paul rebuked them. He rebuked them for fighting. So now in this chapter, Paul says, hey, by the way, just so you know, I'm going to these Gentile churches to collect an offering that's going to go to Jerusalem and bless their Jewish brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. There's a little bit of shaming going on here with Paul. He's saying, look, these churches have koinonia fellowship and love for one another, so much so that they're willing to give gifts from one to another. Why can't you guys get along in your church? Y'all feel what's going on? How subtle that is? It's Paul's way of saying, look, we're all in the body of Christ. We all love each other. Let's act like it in the way that we love and show fellowship, koinonia to one another. Paul says, when therefore I have completed this, verse 28, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So when we talk in terms of fellowship, let's just flesh out this concept of fellowship. We're talking about missionary activity, Paul collecting money for his trip to Spain. We're talking about hanging out with one another, enjoying each other's company. That's good. We're also talking about koinonia contributions, benevolence, love shared from one to another, the sharing of our possessions. 
That's even modeled in the book of Acts. And then also Paul says in verse 29, 29, I know that when I come to you, I will share in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, and you just kind of analyze all the things that he's gone through. I gave you a huge list last week of all the suffering that he went through. You know, Paul's been through some tough stuff as an apostle. He has suffered greatly for the church. He had some plans of his that were altered and changed over the years. He's encountered some detours, some obstacles. You know what Paul never gave up on in his entire life? He never gave up on fellowship, on koinonia with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me put it even more directly than that. You know what Paul never gave up on in his entire life? He never gave up on the church. He loved the church all the way to the end, all the way to that dank prison cell that he was in at the end of his life. He loved the church. He lived, he kept fighting for the church. He relied on it throughout his life. And I think that dates back even to his initial days of ministry in the church in Antioch when Paul was a valuable member of that church with Barnabas and they started praying and fasting and then they sent out Paul as a missionary to preach the gospel to places where the gospel hadn't been preached and to plant churches. The reality is that we as Christians, we need the fellowship of the saints. We need the church. We need koinonia. Not just for hanging out, but for mission, for benevolence, for love demonstrated towards one another. So let me just go back to that ordeal that Sonny and I went through when we moved up to Chicago. So, I mean, I had two debacles in 24 hours with a U-Haul, okay? And we, we puttered into Chicago and thinking, you know, is the Lord really in this? I mean, what is going on here? And I remember even before I left Texas, the pastor who married us, he said, listen, you know, I'd rather that you stay, but I'm glad you're going to seminary, glad you're going to Illinois. Can I give you some advice? Absolutely. I love taking advice from pastors. He said, when you get to Chicago, the first thing that you need to do is you need to find a church and you need to plug in. And, and I was kind of like half insulted by that. Well, I'm going to seminary. Of course I'm going to plug into a church. But you know, that was such good advice I got from him. And, that's, and Sonny and I, we tried to follow through with that. As soon as we got to Chicago, by God's grace, we made it, made it here. We were able to live with somebody for a little while and get our feet under us. We started attending a church. And then I started going to seminary, and, and I had these friends in seminary who treated seminary like it was, its, like it was their church. Was, what? That was so silly to me. You can't treat a parachurch organization like it's the church. It's, it's not what it does. It's only the church where God has that power demonstrated, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need the church. We need the fellowship of the saints. Paul models this for us. We need it for mission. We need it for relationship. We need it for benevolence. We need it for koinonia. This is the body of Christ. This is the, the bride of Christ. What's ironic about Paul's statement here is that he actually did make it to Rome. Look, look at verse 29 with me for a second. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. 
Paul did come to them in Rome eventually. But he didn't come to them like he probably thought he was going to come to them. He came in chains as a prisoner waiting to appeal to the emperor. More on that in a second. Go ahead and write this down as number two in your notes. Here's the second commitment we need when dealing with detours. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need koinonia and all of its expressions. Also, we need prayer with the saints. We need prayer with the saints. Part of Paul's MO in his writing is to solicit prayers from his readers. As you read throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament, you see he's, he's constantly asking for prayers. Pray for me. Pray for me in this. Pray for me in that. Pray for me in this new thing. And Paul's very specific with his prayer requests here in verses 30 through 33. These are real-life events that he's asking prayer for because Paul didn't write in a vacuum, and he doesn't ask for prayers in a vacuum. And I know that even as we read what happens here, there's a historical context that we're 2,000 years removed from. I mean, Spain and Rome and Corinth, those aren't, those aren't even the same places anymore. But what I hope to do is derive from that historical circumstance, these specific prayers that Paul gave, these requests that Paul gave, I want to derive from that some principles for us and how we should pray and solicit prayers from other people too, Okay. But first, let's deal with the text here. Here's what Paul asks prayer for. Three specific things. Look at this, starting in verse 30. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Do you notice the Trinitarian statement there? Everybody see that? I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, And by the love of the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, to strive together with me in your prayers to God, first person of the Trinity. I mean, the the Trinity is all over the Bible. Take note of these things and explain this when the JWs come over and tell you there's no Trinity in the Bible. Anyways, let's keep going. So Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to strive together with me in your prayers. And he gives three prayer requests, okay? Three requests. Number one. Verse 30, sorry, verse 31, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. One prayer request. Second prayer request, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And then number three, a third prayer request, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all Amen. So three prayer requests. Let's just go through this. And and what's great about this is we have the benefit of hindsight and we have other scriptures, namely the book of Acts, to see whether these prayer requests actually got answered by the Lord. So let's take a look. What's the first prayer request? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So Paul was traveling at this point from Corinth and he was going to go to Jerusalem and deliver this gift for the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And just so you know, Paul, Paul had some people looking, you know, pe- people were looking to put Paul to death really everywhere, but especially in Jerusalem. So Paul gets into Jerusalem. We know this from the book of Acts. And the, the first thing he does is he goes to the temple and he gets arrested. He gets harassed. He gets assaulted. 
and he gets arrested, and he almost gets killed. In fact, if you were to title the end of the book of Acts, you know, chapter 14 and on, you, you could give it the title, Paul almost gets killed all the time. And he almost got killed. In fact, he almost got killed twice. There were actually a group of people, Jews, that took an oath that they would not eat or drink anything until Paul was dead. That's how committed they were to Paul's death. And just through some circumstances, Paul's relative found out about this, and he escaped death. Paul escapes death. Paul escapes death over and over again. So I can't help but think that part of the reason that Paul escaped death at the end of the book of Acts when he was in Jerusalem is because of the prayers of these Romans in this church. And maybe others who prayed for Paul along the way. You know, if you ever read a biography of George Washington, Paul is kind of like George Washington. If you ever read a biography of George Washington, it's like he should have died here, he didn't. He should have died here, he didn't. He almost died here, but he didn't. He almost died here, but he didn't. Like, man, this guy just escapes death all over the place. Paul's like that in the book of Acts. God spared his life, and he answered this prayer request. So, first prayer request answered by the Lord. Second prayer request, that God would allow the service for Jerusalem to be acceptable to the saints. What's he praying for there? Well, Paul desired that the Jewish churches in Jerusalem would accept this benevolence gift from the Gentile churches. Paul wanted prayer for this because he was afraid maybe that the Jews would bow up. Say, well, I don't, we don't need any help from Gentile churches. We're just fine. He wanted that gift to be acceptable. He wanted them to receive it. And from what we can tell in the book of Acts, they did receive it. It was accepted. Another prayer answered. Two out of three. What was the third prayer request? That God's, that by God's will, look at verse 32, that by God's will I may come to you with joy, come to you in Rome, and be refreshed in your company. Paul prayed that if it was according to God's will, he would come to Rome and be refreshed in their presence. Now we got some good scholarly Bible students in this church. We do. A lot of them are under 18 too, by the way. Let me ask you this third prayer request. Harvest Decatur, did that, did that third request get answered? Those of you who studied the book of Acts? Did Paul, was Paul allowed to come to Rome with joy and be refreshed in their company? Yeah. It was answered, but it wasn't, the an, it wasn't answered the way that Paul probably thought it was going to be answered. Because what happens at the end of the book of Acts? Well, Paul gets thrown in prison. He gets transferred to Caesarea. He spends two years in prison there. I don't think he was planning on that. Then he finally got shipped to Rome in chains because he had appealed to Caesar. So you think, well, is that the end of his journey? No. Then he gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And then he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. You can't make this stuff up. And then he has to winter there in Malta before he can go to Rome. You get to the end of the book of Acts, you're like, is Paul going to survive? Is he ever going to get to Rome? And then by the end of the book, and chapter 28, finally he gets there. He Finally he gets to Rome. 
Was he able to come to them with joy and be refreshed in their company? Yeah, but I doubt he planned it that way. And he wasn't able either to go to Spain. Not immediately because he was held under house arrest in Rome for two years. And then the book of Acts just kind of ends. Like, what, 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 what happened? Anybody ever, y'all feel like that when y'all read the book of Acts? Like, what happened? What happens next? The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. We just leave Paul in Rome in prison being refreshed by the church. And there's some debate actually, if you're curious, theologians and Bible scholars debate, did Paul ever make it to Spain? Some people say he did. Some people say he didn't. I, I don't know. I don't know. Church history goes both ways. The telling of church history. Sometimes God answers prayers. Sometimes God doesn't. And I'll just tell you that's his prerogative because he's God. And sometimes, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. Sometimes God answers our prayers. Sometimes God answers our prayers in ways that we don't expect like taking Paul to Rome in chains several years after he planned to go to Rome. And I will say this, you know, prayer. Never stop praying, Harvest Decatur, never stop praying. I've been thinking this last week, you know, was asking this of the Lord even, was Paul wrong to make those plans to go to Spain? Let's just say for the sake of argument, Paul never got to Spain. He had all these great plans to go to Spain. He was going to get money from Rome and go there. Let's say he never, was Paul wrong to make those plans to go to Spain? Was Paul wrong to dream that big dream? To preach the gospel in a place where Christ hadn't been named? I don't think so. Should I make plans, Pastor Tony, in my life? Should I dream big dreams? Yes, I think you should. But can I tell you this? When you write them down, write them in pencil. Everybody with me? Have, a, have an eraser handy in case you need to adjust because of detours. Sonny and I we laugh sometimes when we get together and we, we think about our escapades coming from Texas to Illinois. It was so hard for us to get here. You know, the idea of going back is just terrifying. We laugh and we think how silly and immature we were at that stage of life. I was, I was 23, I think, when we moved up here. But can I tell you, there's times even right now in my 40s when I miss that adventuresome idealism that would lead me to attempt a great thing for the Lord. I was thinking this through this last week. You know, was Paul wrong for doing this, for attempting this great thing? No, sometimes God is not just honored in the accomplishing of some great thing. Sometimes God is honored in the attempt of some great thing. And as I've aged, I wrote this down on my iPhone this last week. 
maybe this will encourage some of you. When I was in my 20s, I struggled with idealism. Anybody else deal with that in your 20s? When I was in my 20s, I struggled with idealism. When I was in my 30s, I struggled with pragmatism. Now that I'm in my 40s, you know what I struggle with? I struggle with pessimism. And I've I've stopped attempting great things for the Lord. You know what? I'll trade the pessimism for the idealism. I've been praying this lesson. Lord, give me back that idealism that did those crazy things when I was young. I'm mature now. I can handle it. I can drive a U-Haul, maybe. So that's my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s. Can I just tell you that all along the way, at every stage of life, no matter what I struggled with, fellowship and prayer. I've always been committed to those things. The fellowship of the saints and prayer, not just praying with people, but soliciting the prayers of other people. Fellowship and prayer, Harvesticator. No matter what God leads you through, fellowship and prayer. So let me just take you back to that gas station in Kankakee. Okay, so there I was, I just wrecked two cars. And, and I pulled off into that field and just started crying out to the Lord. Lord, what are you doing in this? Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you protecting me from myself? Are we making a huge mistake? It was actually a really low point in my life. But we limped in to Chicago. We lived with a friend for several months. I went to seminary. I finished seminary. I had some prayers answered, and I had some prayers unanswered in that. I could tell you all about that some other time. Eventually, after graduation, I got an email from a man named Mike Holder in Arthur, Illinois. He emailed me, and I emailed him back literally, where in the world is Arthur, Illinois? And he, <laughs> he, he wrote up this little blurb of Arthur, and I said, what? Amish people in Illinois? Seriously? And then in 2008, sure enough, the Lord led us to plant a church in Arthur, And then the Lord led us to merge that church with the church in Decatur. All kinds of detours, all kinds of challenges along the way. But God has been good, and all along the way, I, we, Sonia and I have been committed to fellowship and prayer, fellowship and prayer committed to the church of Jesus Christ, to koinonia, and committed to pray through everything that we've gone through. Fellowship and prayer, Harvest Decatur, and the detours of life. Pray with me, and then we'll take communion. Lord, I want to pray a bold prayer this morning.
Lord, I want to pray that we as a church would attempt great things for you and pursue great hard things for you. I personally have been challenged and motivated by the Apostle Paul to by faith and maybe a little recklessly pursuing a great work Lord, we as a church have been the beneficiary of another church desiring to plant, desiring to multiply. Lord, would you use this church to multiply other churches? Would you use this church to raise up missionaries, even, Lord, that would go to places where you have not been named? Lord, you use 12 men, mostly fishermen, to change the world. God, I pray that you would use this 150 people at Harvest Decatur, however many we are, to change the world. God, give us courage and boldness to attempt great things for you. In some cases, Lord, that might mean sharing our faith with our parents or with a sibling who is lost. God, give us that courage, I pray. And Lord, inevitably, we will deal with detours. We will deal with roadblocks. God, keep us anchored to the church, to fellowship, to koinonia, to prayer, prayer with one another, prayer for one another. God, make Harvest Decatur a house of prayer, I pray. Make us quick to pray. And make us sensitive, Lord, to pray for others, to pray for the work of Christ, to pray for the advancement of the gospel in Decatur and elsewhere. Amen.